1: Three, two, one, zero. Hello,
0: welcome to episode 136 Early Retirement Now. Hey, Money Clan, a very warm welcome to the Chain of Wealth podcast. I'm your host, Dennis O'Brien.
2: And I'm Katie Walsh.
0: So, Katie, today, quite a cool conversation about someone that's already retired, and they did it at quite a young age. Quite an inspirational story, and very cool to see how people actually achieve fire.
2: Oh, dang, could you imagine being retired early?
0: I know it. It <laughs> sounds amazing, doesn't it? <laughs>
2: it does. It does. Just spending your day doing what you want to do, waking up early every day, and really just having the day ahead and being excited.
0: You know, like I also think like a, a lot of the there's, there's actually a challenge that comes to retiring early, and that. You don't know what your numbers are necessarily, you know, and figuring out like what is like a safe withdrawal rate, which we kind of speak about a little bit later in the episode is really important and knowing how much money you actually need to retire early is critical to whether your plan is going to succeed or not.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think also another factor when you actually do retire early is you need to think, what am I going to do to fill my time now? Because, you know, you spend most of your time like at work or doing work things. And, you know, once you don't have that anymore, you have to have something to look forward to and something to get into.
0: Yeah, definitely. And um, we sent out an email earlier in January and there was a whole bunch of questions about retirement. We had an episode come out last week about it. And Kate and I are going to try to put together a little bit of a series later on in terms of retirements, and we're going to build out a post and stuff like that. So definitely watch the space. We've heard your voices. We see that there's a really big demand for it. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank
2: you so much for everybody who's been reaching out lately. It's been super exciting. Yeah.
0: All right. Seeing as the Alexa alarm is going off in the background, (laughs) do you want to dive into today's episode? Yes. Awesome. Let's do it.
3: Welcome to Chain of Wealth. Here's your host, Dennis, inspiring you to begin your journey of financial freedom.
0: Karsten Jesker is a personal finance blogger who writes at Early Retirement Now, or ERN for short. He is originally from Germany, but came to the United States in 1995. He blogs about a host of retirement topics. Oh, and he recently retired at the meager age of 44 years old. Welcome, Carsten. Hi,
2: Karsten.
3: Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: So, Carson, your blog stood out immediately because you were also a fellow speaker at FinCon. Uh, what did you speak about while you were in Orlando?
3: Well, the the conference is called FinCon, and it's not called BlogCon. So, I right. actually I <laughs> actually had a, a panel discussion that i organized that was on a financial topic on safe withdrawal rates for early retirees so that's my my passion that topic i write a lot, a lot about that on the blog and i had so i was one of the panelists and then the three other panelists that were all retirees or or about to retire or blogging or podcasting about retirees and uh, so we just uh just just the four of us plus a moderator, and we just yapped away and discussed the, the different challenges uh, and our solutions or proposed solutions to, to the challenges of, of withdrawing money in early retirement and hoping to make that money last for 40, 50, even 60 years.
2: So I have um, quite a question, and it could be a little bit of a loaded question, but I don't intend it to be that way. So, I'm sure you, did you hear the uh, podcast interview with Paula Pant and y- Susie yes. Orman?
3: Yes, very much so. Everybody, everybody's <laughs> I mean, I talking thought,
2: about. <laughs> <laughs> it blew up on Twitter. Um, and Paula did an amazing job because I feel like interviewing somebody like Susie would be quite intimidating. Um, yeah. What were your thoughts after hearing that?
3: Um, well, I wrote a blog post on it, and these are my thoughts. And uh, well, I mean, so first of all, again, compliments to Paula, right? So she interviewed mm-hmm. uh, Susie, and she wanted to find out what Susie thinks about early retirement. So Paula does not want to convince Susie that early retirement is a great idea or anything like that, because we, we already knew that Susie doesn't think that way.
1: Uh, mm-hmm.
3: And it's, it's not about convincing Susie. It's not about convincing Susie's followers. It's trying to find out, hey, w- where are you coming from? What, what what do you think? So don't do an echo chamber where you only interview pe- uh, people that uh, you already know the answer and um, you already know that they're going to support your, your view of the world. And so it was good to interview somebody who you know is going to say some uncomfortable things right so and uh, so susie doesn't agree with early retirement and there there are obviously two uh two aspects of early retirement that uh one is the kind of the emotional and uh, the, the the lifestyle uh about early retirement so susie um i think has basically the wrong impression what we're doing in early retirement, right? Is we're not going to sit on the beach and sip uh, cocktails all day long, or we're not going to sit on the couch all day long. We'll still be active and, intellectually engaged uh, so um, th- th- that is that is relatively easy to, to debunk what what Susie said there what, what is harder to debunk is that so she put some real numbers on the table right she said well you need at least five to ten million dollars and then Paula said you you need two million dollars and wh- where's where's the truth we, c- we can discuss all day long right so one person says no you need ten million the other says no you need two million dollars and they go back and forth and you'll never reach a conclusion. And uh, so that's obviously the part of the discussion where uh, so I, I had thought about that topic a lot, right? So how do you gauge how much money you can withdraw? How do you factor in all of the different financial challenges? For example, what does it, what does it mean that we may all have to end up paying thousands and thousands, maybe tens of thousands of dollars in the future for nursing home care, right? That's, that's the one big thing that Susie brought up because she paid nursing home care, her mother and saw how, how big the bills could be. How do we factor that into our withdrawal strategy? If, if say, I'm 44 years old now and I will need nursing home care uh, in uh, 35, maybe 40 years, how much money do I have to set aside today to ensure and to hedge uh, that risk. So I have enough money left over uh, at old age. So I'm not running out of money and I'll be destitute when uh, when that time comes. And Susie thinks, seems to believe that you need millions and millions of dollars. And I believe that you, you probably have to be a little bit more cautious than say the 4% rule uh, that everybody's using now. Uh, but you don't need Vastly more money than than you would have uh, budgeted under uh, under your uh, baseline withdrawal rate strategy without uh, nursing home care, because the, the nursing home care is so many years and decades in the future. Uh, even if it's a big amount, uh, the again you don't want to um, don't want to ignore it. You don't want to underestimate it, but uh, it's probably not as daunting as Susie wanted to make it. Uh, this this nursing home care issue. So, and I, I wrote I wrote a blog post on that and uh, looked at some numbers. How much money do you need extra uh, to to factor in nursing home care? And it's it's actually not that much. So that's that's, that's you you need some kind of a quantitative uh, background to address some of the issues that Susie brought up. And uh, so I, I I did that, and I think I think I did a pretty good job. Uh, in my blog post.
0: Yeah, Yeah. so back to your point, did people sort of figure out a consensus as to what actually is a safe withdrawal rate? What exactly was the outcome of the panel discussion? Did people come to a consensus in terms of what rates to use? Um,
3: So uh, there there was a consensus that I think everybody on the panel, certainly Tanya and Physician on Fire and I, we are going to start with a slightly lower safe withdrawal rate than four percent. So I think we are all in the maybe three to three and a half percent range. Uh, but then again, that's not really a consensus. So my, I always make the point that there can't be a general a, a general safe withdrawal rate that's applicable to everybody, right? And. This is, is. I always say this is like mandating the same shoe size for everybody, right? Uh, so we, there can't be a 4% rule, just like there can't be a size 10 shoe size rule for everybody. Uh, you you have to custom fit your shoe size to your feet and not really start with any rules. But uh, definitely th- there are a few general um results that I think I showed that. Uh, so first of all, starting with the 4% rule, the 4% rule is not 100% safe, even for traditional retirees, right? There there have been uh, periods where you would have run out with the 4% rule even over 30 years and uh, think about it even if you don't run out over 30 years with uh, with the 4% rule uh, you may run out over over 50 or 60 years right because you, you you might have made it with a few thousand dollars left in the account over 30 right. years uh, and then uh, unfortunately you don't get to reset your portfolio value to to the starting value and then do another 30 years back to back. So uh, so my point is that uh, you probably want to account for at least two uh, disadvantages that we have right now. One is we have relatively expensive equity valuation. So you want to take that into account. Um, it's, it's very different uh, retiring today versus, say, at the bottom of the bear market. Right? The 4% rule works really well. Uh, if you retire not at the market peak, and uh, if you're at the market peak or close to the market peak, uh, you increase the probability that the 4% rule doesn't work. Oh, and then, I mean, obviously, as I said, that because we have a longer retirement horizon, uh, you have to also give that withdrawal rate a little bit of a haircut. So, so in, a, in a purely academic exercise where you say, okay, so I take my little model retiree, and this retiree has... Uh, 50 or 60 year horizon uh, then you would so I, I did some simulations and I showed yeah probably the fail failsafe uh, withdrawal rate is more like in the in the low three percent maybe three and a quarter percent you may increase that a little bit and now we get into the issue of uh, this this idiosyncratic adjustments conditional on on the on the individual retiree right? I mean you you will find a lot of people that have potentially generous, pensions coming up in the future, right? So, they retire at uh, age 44, and then they can they can get a government pension at age 55, and then they can get social security at anywhere between 62 and 70. So, depending on how big your benefits are, you could uh, take that into account and say, well, I have to withdraw a little bit more today, uh, but then I can lower my withdrawals once these additional cash flows kick in. Uh, and that would increase your safe withdrawal rate again a little bit and that depends on what what your exact numbers are so i've, I've done some uh, case studies for people that volunteered their, their numbers so and I, I did the case studies on my blog and i yeah they i found uh, some people that had withdrawal rates initial withdrawal rates uh, even higher than four percent even in today's expensive uh, uh, equity valuations uh, they just had uh, they just have. They're dual income earners, so they will get two social, se- two generous social security benefits. Uh, they get pension benefits in the future. Some of them even uh, government pensions that are that are inflation adjusted. So, so factoring that all in. Uh, that, that raises the safe withdrawal rate. Uh, and then, of course, you could also find ways where you could lower the safe withdrawal rate when you start factoring in well, but I also want to set aside a certain pot of money for when I'm uh, 80 or 85 years old because I'm scared about uh, about long-term care and nursing home care, uh, so that again could lower uh, your safe withdrawal rate. But again, so just in the, in the purely academic um, uh, example uh, that I that I calculated uh, with uh, maybe a little bit of Social Security uh, and a sixty-year horizon, I would probably not go much above three and a half percent today. So three and a quarter to three and a half percent.
0: Cool. So. Talking about going against the grain a little bit further, a lot of people in the personal finance space always say that sort of baby step one is to get six months of living expenses saved up into an emergency fund. But I read on your website that you feel very differently about this. So my question to you is, why do you think it's not necessarily important to have this big emergency fund? And what would you rather do with the money instead of having it sit in cash?
3: Right, right. So I, uh, this was an art. These were articles that I wrote a while ago, and uh, we. So my personal experience was that I never had really an emergency fund, and everything I saved, I put it into stock. So, so the, the, notice the distinction here, right? So it's not that I don't have an emergency fund. It's it's simply that that emergency fund is part of our overall investment portfolio and I decide to have pretty much a 100% of our overall portfolio in stocks I don't keep that cash on the side and uh, so obviously some of the people and by the way again that's Susie Orman right so Susie Orman says you need 8 months uh, in an emergency fund and that emergency fund has to be invested in some money market fund or cds or something like that and uh, i would always say that um i i prefer to have my money invested productively and not sitting around idle in a in a money market account and of course the the way this could go wrong is that well the market could be down just exactly the month when you need to withdraw money from your emergency fund right and um uh, so my uh, th- my theory on that is that i i'm okay with that because um over my life cycle i have i have faced multiple small emergencies say car repairs home repairs and stuff like that and sometimes the money comes out of the out of the account uh, when equities are doing well and sometimes when they're not doing so well so there's some um There's some insurance and some uh, some diversification over at what time I withdraw that. Sometimes you withdraw at the bottom of the stock market. Sometimes you withdraw at the top of the stock market. Overall, uh, over the many different emergencies that I have faced and over the many more emergencies that we will face in our life, uh, we... Uh, yeah, we will sometimes withdraw at the peak and sometimes at the bottom of the stock market. But overall, I think we're doing better just having the money invested uh, and not just lying around idle in the in the money market accounts. So that's that's my uh, that's my philosophy. Again, I'm not saying you should not you should not have uh, eight months worth of money for an emergency in fact right now we have something like 30 or 35 or even 40 times annual expenses right so you you, you do the math how many months that is uh, as a as a fund that we can tap in case of an emergency so uh, so i'm not saying that people shouldn't save in an emergency fund i'm just saying that they they should probably invest that money and uh, just be uh just grab that additional expected return from equities over money market funds
0: I have the same strategy as you, so I'm glad that there are other people like me.
2: Does that make you feel a little bit better done? Like uh, a little reassured? Yes.
3: <laughs> yes. And uh, so I, I... I wouldn't say that I'm a, I'm much of a gambler, but in in, in terms Broad, of my in, yeah. in terms of my investment philosophy, I, I would almost feel uh, it would it would give me an uneasy feeling that there's money lying around that's not used productively. So I mean, even if I had started at some point with the eight months uh, worth of uh, cash sitting in the money market account, next time the market drops and I say, "Oh, this is a great buying opportunity," I would have I would have deployed the money uh, and. Um, it's, a, it's a, that's just that's just my investment style so
2: so just a bit of a turning point mm-hmm. and since we're on the subject a little bit what? how long does it take to plan for an early retirement so to put it in another way can you ever really start planning for early retirement or is it ever too late
3: well um In my case, it took and then it depends on how exactly you set the cutoff, but I definitely saved very aggressively for 10 years. And that's between 2008 and 2018. And I had a little bit of savings already in 2008. Obviously, that was totally decimated during the global financial crisis. So, I mean, for, for all practical purposes, you could almost assume I started at zero again in 2008. It wasn't quite zero. It, it was a it was a meaningful amount. It was it was a six figure, but it, but it was it wasn't the low six figures uh, in 2008. So, you could argue that I I probably started from almost from scratch in 2008, and then it took me ten years. Of saving somewhere around fifty to sixty percent every year, and uh, that alone. So it just just purely, the the money that I put in. Right, if I had just put the money under the mattress, that would have already been a very substantial amount. But then, of course, I didn't put it on the mattress. I put it in the stock market, and uh, yeah. So so ten years. Uh, so so just the the contributions plus the capital gains that did the trick for me. And uh, But I have to also admit that I've always in the back of my mind, I've always thought about starting a little bit earlier retirement than, than the 65 or 67 years old. And I've probably even already in college and grad school, I already had this idea in my mind that yeah, I, I probably want to retire a little bit earlier, maybe 55, maybe 50 years old. And um, but yeah, over time I've I've walked down the age and I've also walked up my savings target. So initially I thought I said something like I want to have a million dollars by age 50. And uh, so I uh, I was actually lucky that I I achieved uh, much more than a million dollars at a at a younger age than that. So uh, yeah, I mean it's it's been on my in the back of my mind for a long time and then it took 10 years of getting really serious about doing it.
0: Cool. So, talking a little bit about early retired life, what are you doing to keep busy?
3: Uh, yeah. So we had a. Uh, so I was initially planning to retire in, in February, and uh, so my employer asked me to stay on a little bit longer. So, and I worked until June first, and June fifth, we went on a uh, on a trip around the world. So right now we are uh yeah it's about four and a half months into that trip uh and we're gonna uh, finish the trip after seven months so in late december and uh so we uh gave up pretty much everything we had in in uh, in our hometown of san francisco so we sold our condo we put our stuff into storage and then went on this trip uh, we've been to the we've done a road trip to the u.s we've done a uh, we've been to the Caribbean, we've been to Europe, uh, then back to the U.S. again. So it's not exactly uh, around the world, uh, 360 degrees. It's more like zig- zigzag back and forth. Uh, so then from Europe, we came back to the U.S. to attend FinCon. And then from the U.S., we flew to Asia. So right now uh, we are in uh, Thailand, uh, Bangkok, Thailand. And, yeah, so we are traveling um, um, pretty much full time and uh, staying at airbnb staying with relatives uh, all over the world and uh, so we we had this pent-up demand for a lot of travel because if you have this corporate job you get only 20 or in my case 23 vacation days every year Uh, you don't really get to do the travel that that you always uh that you that you accumulate on your bucket list and we thought that uh, we get we we do a lot of travel early on, especially now our daughter is is not yet in kindergarten she will only start next year uh, so we'll get that out of the way and do that very ambitious travel schedule uh, but then once our daughter goes to school next year, we will definitely settle down again and uh, not in San francisco but uh, somewhere somewhere in the suburbs and uh, by the way, also in a different state, not in California. Uh, and then um, and then we'll have a little bit more quiet life. And then, yeah, I consider that phase two of early retirement. Then we'll still do some travel during the summer. Uh, but then, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, we'll have more time to spend with each other. I want to volunteer at, at school for with my with my daughter. I'll have more, more time for outdoor activities. We want to do a lot of hiking and, and skiing and uh, things like that. Uh, so it's, uh, I, I can't tell you exactly yet how my average retirement day will look like once we settle down. But I mean, right now it's, uh, yeah, we're traveling full time. We'll do a lot of sightseeing. Sometimes we just kick back and don't do anything. That's fun too. Uh, especially after you have done sightseeing for, for over four months. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a lot of fun to, to have family around. I meet a lot of people, obviously, on the road. I meet up with some bloggers even along the road and um, old friends from grad school, old colleagues. I have a colleague who, uh, who went back to his home country, Thailand, got, to get, uh, got together with him yesterday. Uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a great lifestyle uh, to, to be in early retirement at, at my age.
0: Very cool to be able to tick stuff off the bucket list.
2: Yeah, well, and when speaking about the schools in San Francisco, I was talking to other teacher friends of mine, and to send your child to school in San Francisco is actually really challenging. I don't remember. I I feel like it's very expensive.
3: Right, right. A lot of people in San Francisco, um, yeah, they would send their kids to private school. I think that there are also some some good public schools, uh, but there's uncertainty as to what school your kid will be will be assigned to. So, what a lot of people do uh, is that they, they uh, yeah, spend tens of thousands of dollars a year on private schools, and then I mean, talk about a talk about a hamster wheel, right? I mean, you you live in San Francisco; it's already a very expensive city. If you have to pay a mortgage, right. uh, if you have to pay rent, even more so. Uh, and then, uh, so you, you, you live in San Francisco, um, because your job took you there, but this, but by the way, also you, you, you work in San Francisco just to afford the, the, the lifestyle over there, right. To, to pay for the mortgage and pay for the private school. And, uh, I mean, we, we had this funny discussion at, uh, uh, it was not my going away party. It was somebody else's going away party that that left right around the time I left. And people were saying things like, "Oh, I could never retire because I mean, I, I got my kids in school and it's so expensive." And I, I, I didn't, I didn't want to get into arguments or anything. And I said, "Well, th- th- this is exactly why I am quitting, right? Because we want to move to a place where we can send our daughter to a public school." And uh, she'll be picked up with the yellow and black school bus every morning. We we don't we don't have to drive her to the public school every morning to the private school every morning. We don't want to pay a $30,000 bill uh, for the private school and then plus, plus additional charity events and uh, the additional commitments. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously very committed to, to quality education and uh, uh, it's, it's, it's good that people care about their kids' education. But it's, I think it's just gone so overboard in San Francisco that uh, in terms of the cost and the time commitment of the parents too. Uh, so you, you have this busy corporate career and then you have to spend so much additional money uh, just to send your kids to school. They're, so talking about this book, uh, Your Money or Your Life, mm-hmm. right? So just just in order to be able to live in San Francisco, you have so many additional expenses uh, that you wouldn't have otherwise. And well, guess what? We're going to move into the suburbs. They have good and safe and uh, high quality public schools. And with all the money we save, uh, yeah, we did the math and we realized, right, we don't have to work again uh, just because of that, because of all the money we save.
0: That's really awesome. Chainers, we're just going to take a quick break and then we'll dive right back into the value link round. Money clan, if you're looking for ways to make passive income, head on over to chainofwealth.com passive income. This is a guide that I've created. It's a mega guide. I highly recommend you check it out. There, you can learn all sorts of ways to build passive income and really grow the amount of income streams you have coming in. That's chainofwealth.com slash passive dash income.
2: So I know we talked about this a little bit earlier, and you are retired. But we ask everybody what their saving or retirement plan, like how they're getting there. So how did you get to where you
3: are now? Um, yeah. So um, uh, again, I started out in 2008 with a pretty badly decimated portfolio uh, and a new job at uh, at a large asset management company in San Francisco. And um, uh, 2008 was also the time when we had a lot of uh, a lot of uncertainty in financial markets. So not just about your portfolio, but also about my job prospects in the finance sector. So, and my my plan was, hey, i I have this very nice um, upper middle class salary, but this may not last, right? Because this is global financial crisis. I work in the financial sector. You see people walking out with their boxes out of Lehman Brothers, uh, losing their jobs left and right. Uh, so I would like to um, save a significant portion of my salary. Um, and so that would mean something like 50 or 60 percent of my net salary it can't, it can't be 50 or 60 percent by the way of the gross salary because in some places uh, in the country you you, you pay roughly 30 of, uh, percent uh, of, of average income tax. Right, yeah <laughs> uh, so, so, so out of a hundred dollars you first take out the thirty dollars for the taxes uh, on average and then out of the remaining 70 you probably do another 30 40 split you consume 30 and you save forty dollars uh, for every hundred dollars. That you made uh, uh, gross. Uh, so but anyways, I uh, so the nice thing about finance is that uh, it it pays extremely well, and then it's also structured in a way that you get only a base salary, uh, and then you get a bonus at the year end, and uh, it's very easy to trick your brain into. Uh, well, it's very easy to fritter away that bonus, right? So there's a big bonus comes, and you you go out on a shopping spree, and you buy the, buy a new car or buy new gadgets and stuff like that, but it's also very easy to to reprogram your brain uh, the other way around and you say, well, you know, I got this bonus, but uh, this bonus, this is what the name means, right? It's something that you can't take for granted, right? This is, comes in as an extra. And who knows? Maybe next year there will be no bonus, right? It's because it's tied to the company's performance. So it's very easy to trick your brain into not taking this bonus into your into account with your with your spending habits. And you say, well, guess what? I mean that bonus. I'll just save that. I'm not going to touch it. Uh, I'm going to put that in the in the stock market and because i never know if uh if next year we'll have a bonus again and i'll never know if next year i'll even have a job uh again so i uh, uh so my way of thinking was that i want to have this rainy day fund for when when things uh turn bad again just like just as bad as they were during the great financial uh the, the global financial crisis and uh uh, so my my plan was, I mean, obviously long term, did that early retirement. But then even short term, you know, keep keep your powder dry and uh, have that money sitting there for me in case uh, in case I lose my job or in case, uh, yeah, a, m- mostly in case in case I would lose my job. And uh, yeah, I so, mean, so you do that the first year, the second year, the third year, and yeah, I mean, you see how pretty rapidly your your net worth grows and um uh, so i wasn't exactly sure that i could do this in 10 years right there's the um and uh, so mr money mustache has this blog post about the the shockingly simple math funny thing is i didn't even know about mr money mustache certainly not in my early years i only found mr money mustache in 2016 but uh, i mean as i'm a very math, math geek uh, and you can you can trust me I, I had done my own calculations like that before already and so I, I realized yeah it could take somewhere between 10 and 15 years and then if the stock market turns out really well which it did over the last 10 years uh, i could probably do it in 10 years but yeah i, I would have been pre- uh, prepared to do it in yeah, any anywhere between 10 15 maybe even 20 years
0: Cool. So I know you mentioned your money or your life earlier, but do you maybe have any other books or podcasts you could
3: recommend? Uh, you know, I I listened to uh, some of the previous guests you had, and I'm going to be totally unoriginal, and uh, I I'll recommend uh, the Millionaire Next Door, right? Because that's that was one very eye-opening book that I read, and I I have to check when exactly I bought it. I think it was either late in grad school or early during my my first job. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's very eye-opening because you you think about millionaires and they're what you think their lifestyles might be. But this is surprising how uh, how down-to-earth and how middle class uh, and how, how, uh, how normal the, your, your average American millionaire lives. And uh, so that definitely had an impact on, on my life. Because remember, a, a lot of the, the personal finance books, uh, I mean, the, the pure personal finance of it, uh, I, I knew that, right, because I, I work in the industry. I'm an economist by training. I worked in finance. Uh, all my life uh, so so a lot of that stuff is I, I knew that or, or I had reinvented it myself without reading much about uh, about that topic but about the about the motivation about how to motivate yourself to uh, to live off of less than than you make, how to live below your means, and how to uh, yeah how to be frugal and conservative with your money uh, that was definitely a, a very eye-opening and life-changing book
0: awesome so do you have a favorite quote you like to live by
3: um so i when i sent out my farewell email uh at work so i ended that with a quote by um a very smart guy. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, and um, I, I don't want to get into his life story. You can you can look that up on Wikipedia. Uh, but he said something along the line: uh, "Time is the most valuable thing we have, for it is the most irrevocable." And uh, so that's basically in one sentence why you do fire, right? You you don't want to chase this uh, this this dream of ever more money, uh, of uh, chasing the next. The next bonus, the next pay raise, the next promotion, the bigger office, the bigger car, the bigger house, uh, and all you're doing is is wasting time, right? So time that you could have spent with your loved ones, time that you could have spent traveling, uh, and because time is the one thing that you cannot dial back, right? So you you say you have kids, uh, so we have one daughter, and um, we will we will never be able to experience again um, that. Well, we now have a five year old daughter, and we're traveling with her. Uh, and I would have I would have wasted more time at work and and not spent more time with my daughter. so so I, I like that quote a lot. it's it's kind of distilled in one sentence why people pursue fire, to uh, because that's the time is the one thing that you cannot replace. Uh, money you can make back and uh, material goods. yeah, if you lose them, they might they might be insured, you might you might buy them again but time is the one thing that is just slipping away and we have a very limited uh, budget of that on planet earth and th- that's th- th- that is there's a very impactful quote and a lot of people afterwards came to me and said yeah this is this is a very good point and i I'm, I'm glad you you included that quote
0: that's really inspirational so do you have any other last parting piece of advice for our listeners and then we'll say goodbye
3: yeah, so um what I always tell people who ask me, I mean, is obviously I interact with a lot of people who start out, right? They hear about fire movement and they they are young and they have zero assets, or or they may even be my age and they say, Hey, can I still do it before age sixty-seven? And so I tell them, uh it's it's never too late, right? And you want to start saving uh, regularly and consistently uh, don't try to time the market uh, and um, uh, do do regular investments in uh, productive assets like stocks and um, uh, don't don't get too, Uh, don't get too distracted by market volatility. In fact, if you are, because a lot of people obviously are worried about, say, a bear market, a market drop. Uh, That is a lot less scary for people that are just starting out, right? Because you could, so if, if we have a bear market over the next three years again, and you start out saving today. It's it's a lot less damaging to your to your financial future. You could even use it in your in to your advantage because you you get that dollar cost averaging, right? You you regularly contribute into your 401k or uh, or brokerage account, and you you would use that that market drop along the way and then you pick up some really cheap stocks along the way and you uh, you could even use that short-term market drop uh, to your advantage so so don't fear market volatility uh, if you're young um, put uh, put as much as you can afford uh, into the stock market and um, after 10 years you might be just like me and you have uh, you have enough of a nest egg to to retire at a very young age.
0: Money Clan, we've been hanging out with Carsten Jessica. You can check out his website. It's early retirementnow.com and definitely start working on that dollar cost investing. Start investing now, even if it's a small amount, you're really going to thank yourself later.